0: You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right. Good morning. Come on in, grab a seat. Get comfy, because I brought notes. I'm going to speak for the next two hours. That's why worship was so short. They were giving me time. Yeah. Woo, woo. (laughs) Yeah, right. Hey, you're not going to beat the Baptists to lunch anyway, so we might as well speak long till they're done eating, and then you guys can go. It's Easter. There's going to be a lot of them. I love Baptists. I'm not saying that in a bad way, but they'll always beat you to lunch. I remember when at our other church in Georgia, when we would get out of church, we would try to go to Cracker Barrel, and there would be like a two-hour line, but when we got out late, they'd be done eating, and we'd just walk right in and get a seat, so yeah, that was fun. Yeah, so I'm going to talk forever. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Uh, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to talk for a little bit, though. Happy Easter. Yes. Hey, it's a good day to be alive. I mean that with everything in me. It is a good day to be alive. We live in an amazing time. Anybody agree with that? Yes. Yeah, people had to, some people had to think. They're like, wait, has he been under a rock? Or We live in an amazing time. We live in an amazing opportunity is what we live in. And uh, I was, I, I love Easter. I absolutely love Easter. Um, some of my favorite holidays to celebrate are like 4th of July and those for the fun part of it. Like fireworks, we, when we live by the beach, we go out to the beach and we light off fireworks and have our American flag flying and just, you know, eat good food and all that kind of stuff. Um, I love, love, love 4th of July. But Easter holds one of the most special places in my heart. Uh, because Easter is the one that's most connected to my emotions. Easter is the one that's most connected to uh, just that, that soft place. You're with me. You love Jesus. You know this one. That soft place where it's like Easter is so humbling and so victorious, and Easter stirs up something. It's like a roar of a lion inside of me. Uh, where the lamb was slain, and somehow the lamb that was slain raised up a lion in each one of us, and there's this, you feel it inside of you? Like, I, I wanted to worship for hours this morning. We worshiped on the way here, we, and then this worship, I just it just felt like it flew by so quick. I want to just worship all day long. Uh, because something about Easter just does that inside of me. I know, I know life is worship, and I know every day should be wanting to worship. All, but there's something about Easter. Anybody with me? Do I do you keep saying it until somebody agrees? <laughs> I like vocal feedback. Thank you. Easter is absolutely amazing. A phenomenal day. Easter is what separates us from every other religion on the planet. Easter is what separates us from every other religion on the planet. Because there's no other religion that has a king who defeated the grave and rose and is living. Easter separates us from every religion. Easter is our victory. (laughs) Like Fourth of July, we celebrate freedom as a country, but Easter, we celebrate freedom as a people that is so much deeper than the freedom of a country or wars that were fought. Easter is the celebration of the freedom of our souls, of our spirits, of our eternity. Like it's a good day to get excited. It's a good day to be alive. It's a good day to cry those tears of just like Jesus. You're you're crazy and amazing. You overwhelm me with goodness. <laughs> I was I was reading uh, I was reading the uh, was it, the Easter story. I guess you could call it the the story of the cross. Uh, when Chris told me, which this was wild. You guys, Chris usually tells me I'm speaking like four or five days before I speak. This time he gave me like weeks to think about it it was maddening. I didn't know what to do with myself. I wrote notes. I don't do notes. I wrote notes. It was crazy to me. I had so much time to think about it. and I, I had so much time to think about Easter, and so I was reading it, and I read it. I've read through it a few times, but I was reading it, and one verse stuck out to me so much, and it's maybe an obscure verse, but I'm going to, well, I'm going to read you a few of them, but it's this obscure verse, and it got my mind down to mind, uh, uh, just I just started going down the trail of this verse and what this verse kind of meant and what what kind of popped out to me, but we're going to go there this morning. So if you want to turn with me, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28 and we'll read a few verses. If you, if you want to do that, that would be great if you turn with me. Otherwise, you just have to believe me that that's what it says. I won't make anything up, I promise. I'm going to read right out of the iPhone Bible. But Matthew chapter 28 is titled The Resurrection. Now, after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I love that part. It says the other Mary. <laughs> Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I just think that's so awesome. What if you were the other Mary? You're like, you're really going to write it like that? Seriously? Is this what we're going to say about me, the other Mary? Oh, it's so fun you know any parents in here know what that's like because it's like oh you're judah's dad or ava's dad or Oren's dad and or or ava's mom judah's mom right i mean like you're you're you don't you you go by mom you go by dad you rarely go by your name and so she got her name in there but it's the other mary oh the is mary magdalene and the other mary cool that's fun sorry this is the stuff that sticks out to me when i read my bible welcome into my mind uh, so, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. How cool is that first of all an angel from, there was a great earthquake, an angel from heaven came and rolled back a stone that it took an entire group of men to roll and put in place huge stone. This thing weighing probably a ton took an entire group of men to roll with all their might and put in place in front of the tomb. An angel comes down from heaven. There's an earthquake. The angel rolls the stone away and then sits on it. And I kept reading through that, and I thought, how fun is it that heaven was so mocking in the way that heaven sent an angel to roll away the stone and then sit on it. The opening to these these tombs were probably around the height of this cross. Probably as wide as that too or wider. Uh, One ton. The, The stone was probably around... 2,000 pounds. It was thousands of pounds, huge stone. Thousands. And it was sitting in front of it. This angel was large enough. Let me just stand next to this cross. This angel was large enough to roll the stone away and then sit on it. Sit on it, like I'm sitting on this chair right here. Sits on it. Just an angel. Not God himself. Just an angel, just one of the angels rolls the stone away and sits on it. And I thought, how amazing are you, God? And then I started thinking about the tomb. And, I, you know, as a kid, I always thought, well, yeah, you got to roll the stone away so Jesus can get out, right? <laughs> like, yeah, the angel had to roll the stone away so Jesus could get out of the tomb, No, little Scott, as a child, that's not actually what happened. Young man, the angel rolled the stone away, not so Jesus could get out, but so that we could get in. See, the stone didn't need to be rolled away for everything to be finished and done. The stone was only rolled away so we could go in and see the victory of heaven and what separates us from every religion on the planet. Like, there's a reason why we should be excited today. Come on. You can't write this stuff. (laughs) Rolled it away and sat on it, mocking all of hell. Right there, in one act, mocking hell. (laughs) Rolls away the stone that was supposed to entomb the living Christ. Rolls it away and sits on it. I I I guarantee if you saw that angel's face, there was a smirk on it. See, all of heaven knew the game plan. It wasn't an audible It wasn't a last second, throw a Hail Mary into the end zone, let's send Jesus. It was the plan all along. If we're going to understand the cross, we've got to understand the birth. Like if we're going to understand the cross and, and the mocking nature of the angels rolling it away and sitting. The Bible is not flippant in the words that are written in it. Like every word is put in there for a specific reason. God is very intentional about how he speaks and what he speaks and when he speaks it. He says, let there be light and light still to this day is traveling at the speed of light, growing at the speed of light. Our universe is growing at the speed of light because he said, let there be light and he never told it to stop. Every word is intentional in this Bible that we read. And so I just find it so just humorous and exciting and and just it makes me want to yell and scream that they put on the end of that sentence that the angel rolled the stone away and sat on it. If we're going to understand the cross, we've got to understand the birth. So I always thought, you know, I'm going to talk about little Scott a little today. Young Scott. I always thought as a kid also when I heard the story of the birth of Jesus, you know, I thought how unfortunate that Jesus came into this world and there was not even any room for him at the end. Right? And he he travels with his mom. Pregnant mom on a donkey. Like, look, if you've had kids, like, you're just trying to keep mom comfy. Right? Pregnant mom on a donkey. And then they get to where they're going. It's late at night. They're knocking on the doors. No one, you know, every play I've seen, the innkeeper's just rude. Slide, <laughs> slides open the little wood window on the door. He's like, what is it? And they're like, we, we don't have any room, right? Innkeeper's just rude. Had a day, was just ticked off. You came late, there's no room for you. Ah, oh, shuts the door. No room for Jesus. So Jesus is born in a manger, and I'm like, as a kid, I'm like, that's just so sad that the King of kings and the Lord of lords gets, I mean, it's just hell's attempt to just just start his life off on the wrong foot, right? I always thought, like, ah, that's just so bad. They put Jesus in a manger. He's born in a manger, and then he's, literally his bed is in a food trough with hay, and he's wrapped in swaddling clothes, which I always saw. Swaddling clothes are uh, uh, torn pieces of fabric. And, and they wrap him in swaddling clothes. And I thought, what a poor entrance for the king. Right? And I thought, oh, well, that's what it is. It was a humble beginning because that's Christianity, right? It's, it's about humility. And as a kid, I would think through these things. If we're going to understand the cross, we got to understand the birth. See, in Isaiah, it was prophesied thousand years earlier, it was prophesied that he would be the lamb that was slain before the foundations of the earth, that he would be the total sacrifice. So he comes to earth, and this is what would happen when, when they would have baby lambs. The firstborn baby lamb would be the first sacrifice. So it was always the firstborn was set aside to be a sacrifice to atone for our lives, right? Because we had to sacrifice in order to find atonement in order to find forgiveness. And so the first, I'm yelling because I'm excited. I'm not yelling because I'm mad at you. I can feel it. You can hear it. I know what's happening. I can't stop. <laughs> the first lamb that was born was caught. It was not dropped to the ground. Every other lamb was born on the ground like a lamb would be. But the first lamb was caught. It was not dropped on the ground. It was then wrapped in swaddling clothes in linens. So it would not get any dirt or blemish on it because the ones that were sacrificed had to be without blemish and they had to be the firstborn. See, if we're gonna understand the cross, we gotta understand the birth and the life. He was born in a manger on purpose. It was heaven's plan. Why? Because sacrificial lambs were taken aside, and they were born in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, not because they were poor and there was nothing else to put them in. He didn't get a, 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 you know, first child onesie or whatever, you know. Like, he didn't get the onesie. It's too big. They're just swimming in it. He got swaddling clothes, and I'm like, oh, what a poor beginning for the king. No, what an appropriate beginning for the lamb. He was caught and he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know what they would do with those lambs then? They wouldn't put them in with the rest of them. They couldn't. They're not supposed to touch the ground. They're not supposed to get dirty. So they would put them in a feed trough to keep them separated from the rest of the lambs. He was born in a manger. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes. He was separated from the rest. He was put in a feed trough in hay. Why? Because he was to be born without blemish. He was the one that was to live without sin. Why? Because it, that's what it was going to take to be the ultimate sacrifice. And then he's baby Jesus, you know, and, th- and that's the part of the story in the life where you're like, that's funny. Because, like, he had to get his diaper changed. This is the Lord of all. He had to get his diaper changed. Like, Mary told him what to do, guarantee it. Right? The other Mary, (laughs) the other, (laughs) (laughs) you said it, Jesus is like, that's my mom, (laughs) yep, you got it, the other Mary, not Magdalene, the other Mary, (laughs) well, not really, but. He's born in a manger. He's born of a virgin. Well, that's amazing, and that's cool. Young Scott thought, wow, that's a miracle, you know? (laughs) But he's born of a virgin. Why? So that man's seed could not enter the king. The seed was from the Holy Spirit who moved over. I'm going to (laughs) cry. Who moved over Mary. Mary. A king born of a virgin. In the Bible it talks about the sins of the son or the sins of the father. And it passed down from generation to generation. So in order to cut the sin nature out of man. Man couldn't be born of a man and a woman here on earth. Man had to be born. Jesus had to be born from God hovering over the womb of a virgin. To cut the seed of sin out of man. So he's born of a virgin. He's born in a manger on purpose as the lamb. He lives a sinless life where, yes, the other Mary gets to tell him what to do. He goes through life, and then at the age of 30, he steps on the scene. And what happens? I was reading about the first miracle of Jesus. Everybody know what the first miracle he did was? Well, it's the first miracle that there's an account of, of a public miracle, because we gotta understand this one too. So he's at a wedding, and mom's scrambling because they ran out of wine. And she comes to Jesus and tells him, you do something about this. And he's like, you know, the the funny, (laughs) you can read it how you want, but I always read it as woman, it's not my time. Like Jesus just had this like, (laughs) he says woman woman <laughs> is that so funny i don't know if that's the translation we have or what but he says woman i'm like that's that may be the other mary but if i said that to my mama or if one of my kids said that to their mama like that that's the that's that woman's gonna whoop your butt right <laughs> but this jesus he says woman it's not my time and she tells the servants just do whatever he tells you to do right she's not listening to him and so he takes the water and he blesses it and he turns it into wine I was thinking about that miracle. Do you know, on average, it takes four to five weeks to ferment wine? Four to five, you gotta grow the grapes first. Like, there's a process to this. You have to plant the grapes. You have to grow the grapes. You have to grow them to maturity. You have to pick the grapes. You have to crush the grapes. You have to do a lot of stuff, and then once you have that process, then you start the fermenting process with sugars and yeast, and it takes four to five weeks to get wine, but that's not good wine. That's just barely wine. You can call it wine then, but the longer wine ages, the better it gets. Jesus, in an instant, blesses water, turns it to wine, and they say to him, why would you serve the best wine at the the end of the party? Because you know, you pay good money for good wine, you serve that first, and then once everybody gets a little buzzed, you give them the cheap stuff, right, that's what I understand, I don't know, I, I've never done that, but that's what I understand, like you, you're supposed to give the cheap stuff then, because no one's going to notice, because they already had the good stuff, and now they don't care, but Jesus serves the best wine at the end, and the best wine came from him just blessing water, I started to think about the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus was in opposition to every physical law, every law that man could make, every structure that man put together, every religious thing, every, every, everything. He was in violent opposition to everything man put together. To every standard that man came up with. To every mathematical equation that we could come up with. He was in opposition to even the fact that it takes you this long to make wine. Watch this. He turns water, the most boring of drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Mister, thank you. We're on the same page. She's like, you got a point. I mean, water gets the job done if you're thirsty, but there's no joy in it, it is He serves the best wine. I'm convinced with everything inside of me that it wasn't just turning water into wine, but it was one more sign. See, his whole life was a sign. His whole life was a prophecy. His whole life was meant to be the way it was. Everything happened for a reason, on purpose, intentionality of heaven's plan, walking Every single step he took was ordered for him, perfectly in sync with heaven. He turns water into wine. I was praying about it and I just felt like the Holy Spirit put it in my just in my heart, dropped it in my heart that he he traded right there in that instance his first miracle stepping on the scene of public ministry. His first miracle and this might sound small but turning water into wine and I just felt like it was taking our watered down religious boring structure that we had come up with and turning it into the wine of the Spirit. Like his First miracle was a sign of what he came for, that he was setting you free from the law and death and the boring nature of religion and that thing that we had settled for. He turned water into wine. And they said, why would you save the best for last? Because it just keeps getting better with jesus we don't plateau we don't come to this like understanding you don't ever get used to it freedom isn't something you get comfortable with when it's heaven's freedom freedom from heaven continues to grow like our lives are meant to be lived in the balance of faith to faith and glory to glory tension is in the christian life because it just gets better There's something to be excited about, guys. He lived in opposition to everything we thought was normal. He walked up to the poor fig tree. I've talked about this before, it always has upset me. The fig tree did nothing wrong. The fig tree, I always, felt, I told you guys this before, I always felt like, I always compared the fig tree to me when I read the story, you know? Like, Jesus, don't walk up to me and be like, where's your fruit, bro? And I'm like, oh, dang it. And then he's like, you never, you know. <laughs> it's just, a, it's not, that's not a good, that's not good theology at all. But he walks up to a fig tree, he's with his disciples. And this is just a passing story in the Bible, right? They're just walking, they walk this route. And he, and he goes to the fig tree. Listen, you—the creator of everything—knows times and seasons, knows the natural progression of things, knows how fig trees work, right? Walks up to the fig tree. It says the fig tree was in the season of leaves. It was just bearing leaves. It's getting ready for fruit, but it's just bearing leaves, right? It just came out of fall. Winter, spring starts, life, fig tree's doing good. Made it through another year, getting ready for fruit. Jesus walks up to pick fruit from the tree. The tree has no fruit. Obviously, Jesus, he should know this of all people. Jesus, unhappy with that, curses the fig tree. The disciples take note of it next day they're walking by the fig tree is shriveled up and dead and I always thought how unfair is that that Jesus has one bad day and this poor fig tree pays for it with its life It wasn't poor fig tree. It was yet another sign that he came to live in opposition to everything we would say is normal. See, he didn't come to show earth's standard. He came to release heaven's standard over earth. He could expect fruit out of season because that's how heaven is. He can expect fruit all the time because that's how heaven is. Heaven is a place where the reaper overtakes the sower. That makes no sense. How are you going to reap? You're putting seed in the ground. You can't reap from, you can't make water out of wine. you got to grow grapes. Can I give you this? I keep playing with it. I have my pocket knife. I know I just keep playing with it and it's driving me crazy. I have preacher ADD when I speak. You can't just make wine out of water. Yes, you can. You can't expect figs out of season. Yes, you can. You can't live in opposition to natural laws. Yes, you can. Walks on water. There's a natural progression of things, you know? It's birth, it's life, it's death. No, it's not. The little girl's dead. Nah, she's just sleeping. Wake up, little girl. Hey, go get her some food and water. She's going to be hungry. Like she'd been on a long journey. Yeah, from life to death and back. Her lips are blue and her tongue's green and there's no pulse. In the name of Jesus. But there's a natural progression of things. That's medically not even sound. In the name of Jesus, figs don't grow in the in the time of leaves. But he wanted a fig. Water's not solid. And we we dug a footing for our house, and it just kept raining. And we tried to we tried to keep the water out, but it just I put plastic in it. Everything pumped six hundred gallons out of the plastic, right? Because that was how much water we got. Holy moly! And uh, the water still got in the footing. And yesterday, we were thinking about this, me and Lace, and we're like water into wine, figs out of season, walks on water. Takes something that is so unstable and Jesus turns it into a solid and walks on it, right? And so we just started speaking to the footing at our house that we're building. You know, it's where our perimeter foundation's gonna go. We just started speaking to it. God, change the composition of the soil in our footing that it would no longer be wet and soft, but it would turn so hard that when that inspector comes that little stake that he tries to shove in the ground to see if it's too soft to put concrete in. Jesus, we need to put concrete in because it's going to rain again Thursday. Make that thing just bounce off the ground because the ground becomes so solid. Jesus, that's what we're saying. He lived a life that was hostile to every law and religious structure that man made. He lived a life that went the opposite way of the government, of religion, of, like, you have to work to make a living. I'm a fan of that, right? You have to work. Jesus lived his life on the earth. He stepped into public ministry at 30 years old, for three years walked around doing miracles, and every single need he had, everything he needed was provided for him, down to the fact where he had to have a treasurer, Amen. Some of us are like, Jesus, I need a treasurer. Put me in the place where I have to hire a treasurer. Not Judas, though. I wouldn't do that. Every need was met. Down to the last supper. He said, hey, to the disciples, go to this place. Tell them the Lord sent you. We're coming there for supper, and it'll be ready. So they go, and sure enough, no questions asked, they've got the last supper. He has him eat his body and drink his blood, which, you know, that was gross. People were like, what? What's happening here? Kind of weird. He's he's marching himself towards the reason he was alive. He's taking step after step with them. They go to the garden. They're in the garden. Jesus is praying. And this is the part of the story where you can see, like, you could even, like, was Jesus doubting? You know, he's, he's praying, Father, He keeps going back and forth with the disciples. He's telling them, keep watch, because he knows something's happening. And then he goes into the garden, and he prays, and he's like, Father, if this cup can pass from me, that would be great. But if it's your will, then, then let me drink of this cup. And then he goes back, and he's like, Father, if there's any way that this can change. And what Jesus was experiencing was the weight of all of our sin, the weight of all of our doubt, the weight of all of our sickness, the weight of all of our disease. Jesus was experiencing the judgment of the world. Why? Because the lamb that was gonna be slain needed to bear the weight of the world on his shoulders. And so at that time, to the point where blood comes down as tears from his face. And he bears it all and you watch the passion of the Christ and you cry. and And it always guts me to see my Jesus go through that for me, for you. And he bears the cross but let's not get it twisted. The cross was not a slow walk to death. The cross was a victory march from birth to rising again. Like this was not meek, mild, gonna be broken Jesus marching to the cross. This was the king of kings putting on the weight of the world and slowly one foot in front of the other in a victory march making his way to the cross. When they came to get him in the garden, even after all this, and you're like, was he doubting? I'm sorry for the people up front that have to turn around or just know that I'm behind you speaking. I know that's awkward. I do it. It's like a runway. I have to go that way. When they came to get him in the garden, he knew it was going to happen. He told them. He, said, he told his disciples this is what's about to happen. They come to get him in the garden, and Judas brings all the armies. I'm almost done, Chris. He keeps checking his watch. <laughs> Jesus is in the garden. Judas brings a, an entire army of men and city leaders and all these people, Right? all these people of authority. They come to the garden. This is the funnest part. When they go to arrest him in the garden, they come up, and he says, Jesus says to them, right? Like, he knows what's about to happen. And he just had this moment where young Scott reads that, and I'm like, oh, man, Jesus was doubting. He didn't want to do it. He, he didn't want to do it. He was like, Father, is there something else, some other way that this can happen? No, Jesus was bearing the weight of the world. Now, older Scott, who, who, who knows this a little better, sees it. He's in the garden. He wasn't broken. He they hadn't broke his will. He's in the garden. They come to him. He steps forward, and he says, who is it you're looking for? He knows who they're looking for. There's an entire army of men. They said some count, say, up to 350 men with swords. They came to get Jesus with swords. The man who healed the sick wore sandals. You don't fight a war in sandals, I don't think. I don't know. Maybe you do. They came to get him. He said, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. He's Nazareth. He said, I am he. And when he said, I am he, all 350 soldiers with all the city leaders and everybody that came and all these people of authority and, you know, all their, their religious leaders and all of them. When he said, I am he, they all got thrown back and they fell on the ground. And then he asks them again, like, oh, they must have been. <laughs> this is heaven mocking all the systems set up against what God had meant to happen. They fall on the ground and Jesus steps forward again and asks them again, so who is it that you came for? <laughs> this is not weak, meek Jesus. Jesus. This is Jesus with fire in his eyes knowing what he was doing. Knowing that it was worth it. Steps forward, all he said is, I am he, and all of them fall down. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Oh, man. Can you imagine you're at the DMV, and they call your number, and you're like, I am he, and everybody's like, bah. (laughs) I'm just, I just think through these things happening in normal life. (laughs) Oh, it's funny. I imagine young Jesus in school, like the teacher just stopped calling his name for role, right, for attendance. She's like, he's here. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine? Because uh, let's think about that. He made wine. Mary in the story is so weird that she would want Jesus to make wine from water because he hasn't done anything yet that's written down. Like he's not a miracle guy yet, right? It's Jesus, but there's no like, there's no written like, oh yeah, Jesus is always just doing this stuff. Mary's like, you need to do something about our problem." And he's like, it's not my time. They're having a conversation. Like, she knows this is Jesus. She knows what he's capable of. Because obviously around the house, like, Jesus didn't even do his chores, probably. Mary's like, take out the trash. And he's like, woman, it's done. She's like, what? I mean, this is just, because, tell Joseph to do it. You, you know he turned water into wine. Mary, you can read in it. She knew. She knew he could do it. That's why she, even when he said it wasn't his time, he, she just told the service, just do whatever he tells you to do. Like, oh, he's just being Jesus, you know? <laughs> you got kids, you know that one. But this is 30 years old, too. So. She says, just do. He turns water into wine. She knew he was the man of miracles. Like, she could you imagine growing, you're raising a child that, He's like in the bathtub, just parting the sea. <laughs> like, what does it look like to be kid Jesus? Like, you got to play around with that a little bit, right? <laughs> it's why none of us were Jesus, <laughs> honestly. Every guy in here is like, because <laughs> we've all thought it. <sighs> like, oh, that would be so fun. Heaven mocking every structure of man. I'm glad you're laughing, it's a day to laugh. It's a day to have fun, it's a day to celebrate. It's not a day of mourning, the cross is not a parking spot. The cross is a launching pad into victory. He steps forward and says, I am he, they all fall down. He's like, hey, (laughs) who are you here for again? (laughs) I love that. I just see him laughing when he says just a little chuckle under his breath when he says it. I am he, and then they fall down, I'm like, who are you wait? Who are you looking for again? Because your your posture isn't telling me that you come to arrest me. You're on the ground. Come on, get up. Peter. Peter's not having it, right? I got you, Jesus. Whoa! Lops the dude's ear off. Jesus is like, What is wrong with you? You know what he says? Do you not think? If I wanted, my father would send twelve legions of angels? Like what standard are you living from? What reality is it that you're living from? I got you, one sword. <laughs> Peter's so brave. I identify with Peter a lot. Isn't it Peter I mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's someone else out there. You identify with Peter? I think people that were screw ups at one point in their life—I didn't. Know if be, I, me, you and I both were at one point, and now you're leading a church. It's awesome. But Peter, you know, he's like, "I got you, Jesus." And Jesus is like, "Peter, do you not know? Like, do you think my father, if I wanted, you think my father wouldn't send twelve legions of angels right now? Jesus didn't need rescuing." Jesus wasn't abandoned. Jesus wasn't without power. Jesus was reserving his power. He let a little slip when he said, I am he. Just a little. Oh, and all of them fell down. They take him before Pilate, and Pilate can find no charge. He can find nothing wrong with him. Pilate washes his hands of it, hands him over to the religious leader. The structure that Jesus came to destroy. People thought when he rode in on Palm Sunday that he was going to overturn the government, come in, kick the door open, take the throne, sit on it, and be the king. He came riding in on a new donkey with his sandals. No sword, new donkey. That was like driving a new car back in the day. People were like, oh, he was broke. No, Jesus wasn't broke. Someone gave him a brand new donkey just to ride in on Palm Sunday. That ain't broke. That's like I bought a brand new car just to come riding into church on Easter Sunday, right? Jesus wasn't broke every need was supplied he dies on a cross he's sitting there he he walks 2000 feet bearing your shame your guilt your sin your sickness your disease your pain 2000 feet carrying something much bigger than this <clears throat> 2000 feet they're beating him he's bleeding is he broken? No, he's not broken. Actually, he never broke a bone. Why? Because he was never broken. It was a victory march. He marched 2000 feet to put an exclamation point on the end of a life lived for purpose. They put him up on the cross they nail through not the palm of the hand right here. Right there where everything comes together. Nail through right there because if you nailed here it would tear out of the hand it wouldn't be able to hold him so they nail right there right through that spot right through everything nail through the palms of his hand through the tops of his ankles not through the top of his feet because then again it would pull out so through the tops of his ankles right where that joint is nailed through it he's sitting there he's hanging on the cross you watch the passion of the christ and you cry i remember the first time i watched it oh poor jesus i did an altar call at the movie theater I didn't know that uh, our youth group were the only people there besides an entire church staff from this mega church in our area that rented out the theater, and I'm doing an altar call. I get up front, and I'm crying, and I'm like, I know this man. They're like, you know the actor? Because that's all they were showing on the screen. <laughs> if you want to know, I did a whole art- altar call. Nobody comes down to the front. Finally, the pastor stood up and said, young man, we have, We appreciate your zeal, but uh, this is my entire church staff. We rented out this theater, and I'm not sure how you got in here. We went in the wrong theater. (laughs) Our youth group went in the wrong theater. We sat down. I'm like, people got to know he's real. And they're like, young man, we appreciate your zeal, but (laughs) I'm sitting there just bawling my eyes out, snot and tears, right? Oh, it was so good. Yeah. And then I just put my head down and walked out. I was like, my whole youth group was like, oh, my. But you see the cross and it's so gory and it's so horrible. Thank you for laughing with me. <laughs> I have lots of stories like that. We could be here all day. It's so gory and it's so gross and it's so humiliating and destructive and people throwing rocks and spitting and just treating him so horrible. And he, and he makes that 2,000-foot march and he sits there on the cross and they're bidding for his clothes while he's there and he gets to the end of his time on the cross, and he says, one, Father, forgive him. The cross was a victory march to that statement right there because all of hell's judgment rested on man. And all of hell's attention was the destruction of man because man was made in the image of a good God. And he came and he marched and he lived, he was born, he lived, he marched all the way to that cross to say that statement, Father forgive him. And then he ended his life with, it is finished. And at that moment, all, you, you remember those 12 legions of angels that he talked about? Could you imagine what hell looked like at that moment? Three days of, of literally hell. Jesus goes into hell to take back the eternity of man to take back the keys that were given up, to take back everything that was forfeited. He didn't go crushed and beaten Jesus. Could you imagine what that looked like when hell all of a sudden saw the revealing of Jesus the Christ with fire in his eyes and a double-edged sword for a tongue and a tattoo carved in his leg that no man knows. And his feet are like burnished bronze that just stepped out of the furnace. His hair's white as snow, like wool from a lamb. His face shines with the brightness of the full glory of the sun, and his eyes are like flames of fire. Could you imagine how hell felt about that? But we put a rock in the way. (laughs) We killed you. We had our best and brightest march you down the street and mock you and kill you. <laughs> Joke's on you. Roll the stone away and sit on it. This Easter story is not one of broken. And beaten. Yes, there was some beating that happened. Yes, there was some blood. This Easter story is not a broken and beaten story. This Easter story is a victory march. And more than anything, it's an invitation. What areas of your life is heaven rolling the stone away and sitting on because you see it as a tomb? What areas of your life is heaven walking up to and going, there can be fruit even though it's just time for leaves? What area of your life where you're like, it's water, it's not stable, I don't have stability, Jesus wants to walk on it and then invite you out of the boat into? What areas of your life are not representing everything he fought and marched and bleed and died for? It convicts my heart to the very bottom of who I am. My life should be a representation of that victory right there, every day of my life. Every day of my life. We just saw two days ago, on, or yesterday on uh, Facebook, we were in Nicaragua this day like eight years ago. And the testimony was this. Ava and Lacey were standing right next to a young man who was born deaf and mute. Couldn't hear, couldn't talk. And in the testimony, he standing there with a huge smile on his face because they prayed for him. And he started hearing for the first time and his first words out of his mouth was amen and then two more to follow, two other young men. The deaf school came into the meeting and their ears popped open and they started to speak for the first time. Why? Because that's what he paid for. See, we, we, we... why settle for this watered down experience? when there's like wine available and it's the best for last. That's just absurd. Well, guess what? He came to tear down every structure of man, even birth. But she's a virgin. He came to rewrite what it looks like to be you and I. I told you I was going to speak for two hours. I almost did it. I want to invite the the band up because we just... We can't end with me talking. He came to rewrite it all. He came to change it all. Every physical structure, every mental structure, every spiritual structure. Sin is dead, sin has lost its grip on you so if you find yourself doing things that don't line up with what your nature should be today would maybe be a good day to invite the victory of the cross into that area instead of excuses Uh, listen this is it it's living in the victory of who he is guess what sickness and disease were quenched by his wounds we are healed shame and guilt were humiliated They rolled the stone away, sat down on it, and I guaranteed laughed in the face of shame and guilt. It's a good day to celebrate. It's a good day to remember. It's a good day to remind ourselves. It's a good year. I started out by saying it's a good time to be alive. If you didn't believe me, then I hope you believe me now. COVID ain't got nothing on my Jesus. Lockdowns ain't got nothing on my Jesus. Economies ain't got nothing on my, he rode a brand new donkey. There is no limit that can be put on my Jesus. Well, guess what? You're invited in to that life. That is what Christianity is supposed to look like, limitless. We are, we are meant to be a sign and a wonder on this planet. All of creation eagerly awaits the revealing of what? You, you, you. Death can't hold you. The grave has no sting. What are we gonna threaten you with eternity? It's time to get out of our watered down religious nature. The the stage has been set. the revealing, the whole world is anxiously awaiting an answer. It's not gonna come from Bill Gates. That's not a statement against Bill Gates. It's just the truth. Guys, it's time to stand up. It's time to arise and shine. It's time to shake off the grave clothes. You know, all that was left in that grave was grave clothes. That grave was empty. The stone wasn't rolled away to let him out. The stone was rolled away so we could see. He was born on purpose to be the lamb that was slain. His life was a victory march towards that cross. That cross was the exclamation point. He said it with his own lips. Father, forgive him, you were forgiven. And then he said, it is finished. They didn't kill him, he chose when he departed. He said it's finished. He knew his timing. And then he went into hell and he kicks the major butt and he got the keys back. And then he said, now go and live. It's life and it's life to the fullest. It's life and it's life abundant. Listen to me. This life is meant to be exciting. You say yes to Jesus, you just jumped off the biggest cliff of your life. It's exhilarating. God isn't boring. If you have a boring Christianity, you're boring. He's not boring. His nature's wild. It goes against every physical law. It goes against every structure of man. His life brings death. that brings life. We build things that just fall apart. When are we going to stop trying to do it on our own? When are we going to grab a hold of this Jesus and go, let's do this. Let's do this do this because there's a whole Atlanta out there waiting for you I promise you that if there's anybody in here I got to do this too if there's anybody in here this morning and you can say you know what I don't know that Jesus but I'd like to then guess what this whole row of people up here in the front and there will be other people up here to pray for you we're gonna be up here we want to pray with you we want to celebrate because when you say yes to Jesus, all of heaven erupts in praise. All of heaven goes crazy because you're welcome back into the family. Like when you say yes to Jesus, you'll realize he was waiting on the edge of his seat for you. He anticipates your arrival. So we would love to pray for you. But this is how we're gonna end this day. If you need prayer, that's great. We're gonna end with a song and we're just gonna give it all up to Jesus because this is not a day of mourning. This is a day of celebration. This is not a day of loss. This is a day of victory. Like this is... (laughs) This isn't a day to say sorry to Jesus. I know that might push some buttons. This is a day to say thank you, Jesus, and stand. The best way that you can thank him for his sacrifice is to live from it. The dead will raise, the blind will see, the deaf will hear, the mute will talk. The leper will be cleansed. There's a great harvest. He wants his kids back. He wants you to live in the fullness. You don't just survive and make it out of here. The abundant life is now, right now. It's time to speak it over every area. Every one of our family members, our kids, our marriages, our business, it's time to arise and shine and be the light of the world.